Well, good morning, everyone. This week, we're going to continue on through our Immerse series uh, of poets. And when you look at the reading schedule for this week, it's going to have included in it the Song of Songs. Now, this portion of scripture can be found in your Immerse Poets book, beginning on page 181. And then if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Song of Songs, or sometimes it's referred to as the Song of Solomon as well to help you kind of follow along with this morning's message. Now, if you've ever read the Song of Songs before or maybe this week while you're reading it, you may wonder, what in the world is this book doing in the Bible? I mean, there isn't anything about God, prayer, salvation. And, and how many sermons have you heard preached before that cover this book? How many times have you been to a Bible study or Sunday school and been taught about it or discussed it? My inclination is that your answer to those questions is most likely a very small number, if any. And that's completely understandable. I mean, after all, it does get very graphic and uses language that can be very difficult to discuss with others. Some couples that may be reading the Bible together can even come across this book, the Song of Songs. And as they're reading it together, they may look up from Scripture and look at one another and blush. I have to admit that while I was looking ahead to this week's reading material, uh, I saw that the Song of Songs was included in it, and the Lord put it on my heart to cover it here this morning. And even while I was praying about it, I even blushed a little bit. So the next thing that I did was I, I called a professor of mine from seminary, and I wanted to get his input on this piece of scripture. And when I told him that I was preaching on the Song of Songs, he said, oh, so you guys are doing a sermon series on Song of Solomon. And I said, no, we're doing a sermon series on the Immerse series. And I explained to him how it works. And I said, we have uh, the possibility of reading Psalm book three this week and Song of Songs. And it got really quiet. And he said, huh. So you chose to read from the Song of Songs. And I said, yes, another dead silence. And he said, you've got guts. And all of a sudden, I just started to worry. I thought, you've got guts? That's it? That's the best advice you could give me? I mean, you have your MDiv. You, you have a doctorate in theology. I am calling you for help on this. I, I began to panic even more. I said, my wife is going to be out there listening to me. My children. My mother is going to be out there listening to me. And I said, I've already committed to this book. What am I going to do? And he said, Tyler, and he called me Tyler. He never calls me Tyler. In all my years of seminary, it was always Mr. Hinnick. And he calls me Tyler. And I thought, this is it. And he says, I'm going to give you some very crucial advice. Do not forget this. And I thought, he's going to tell me what to say. He's going to tell me how to say it. And I sat there at my desk and I leaned in on the phone with him. And he says, Whatever you do, don't even think about mentioning your wife in this sermon. <laughs> so I got off the phone with my once now former favorite seminary professor and and I went to the Lord in prayer and I asked him, all right, God, how far away am I going to have to move after using some of this graphic terminology in front of the congregation? And then a calm came over me. And it kind of engulfed me from what previously was a thick cloud of panic and prayer. And then the Holy Spirit brought to mind a reminder. 
And that reminder was all scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. So as I sat down and I read through the Song of Songs again, I began to see just how beautiful of a love story it really is. This part of scripture, as I've mentioned, is a difficult book to read. And it can bring in many questions of what it actually means. So how important is it? Well, the title of the book, Song of Songs, defines just that. And we can compare it to such sayings as the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings. And in Hebrew, that shows us that this is the greatest. Just as the King of Kings is the greatest king or the Lord of Lords is the greatest of lords. So we can see the importance of this song just by the title of it. But then why is it even in the Bible? I mean, after all, it doesn't seem very spiritual. And it paints a very graphic picture as we read through it. It points out all of the senses that we as humans experience. It describes seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. And as it describes the bodies of the man and the woman, it gets very intense and very passionate. So we can see how uncomfortable it can be to, re- to read this book or discuss it with others, because some might even walk away from it feeling a little embarrassed. Some believe that the Song of Songs is written in some kind of secret code, and that the reference to such things as the pomegranates means something else that maybe the only scholarly of ministers may know what its true meaning is. And this is how many of us have interpreted this book. But as you look at different commentaries, which I went through many of them this last week, many, many of them have different meanings for the verses that are within this book. And due to the terminology that's used, we automatically think that it has to have some kind of deeper meaning or symbolism, because why else would it even be in Scripture? We think that we have to dissect it with a special lens. But what happens if we read it? Just as it is. We have to know that Song of Songs was written originally in Hebrew. And as you research it, Hebrews knew that God created all materials. And as we recall back in Genesis, he made us male and female. And he saw that it was good. So the physical aspect that we see here is is good. It's a blessing from God. It was God who made it possible for a man and a woman to fall in love and get married. And in the Song of Songs, God is telling us that he created this bond between a man and a woman. Over time, we have been told that sex is something that's evil and and, and God doesn't want to have a thing to do with it. And since the fall of creation, we can see that it has been twisted and perverted. You see, God has given us this gift for his purpose And Satan is doing his very best to destroy what God created it to be. Therefore, it becomes misunderstood, which then leads to it to be misused. And in Acts 10.15, we read that God is instructed to do not call something unclean if he, God, has made it clean. And God is describing here in the Song of Songs that loving relationship between a husband and a wife. Many view the Bible as a book of rules to follow along with, when in honesty, it's, it's a love letter from God himself. And right here in the middle of the scriptures, we have a love story that's very romantic. It covers love. 
It covers falling in love. And when we read in the Gospels, Jesus uses different analogies concerning the kingdom of heaven, right? He often compares it to different things so that others can understand exactly maybe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the Song of Songs has the same approach. It lays it all out there because physical intimacy between a husband and a wife is something that the reader can understand. Everywhere we look in today's world, we can see, we can hear, we can feel love. Most movies that we watch have some kind of love story in them. Same thing goes for most of the songs that we hear today on the radio or maybe even on your Spotify account. And I bet that some of your favorite songs that you listen to are about love. And the reason for this is because something, it is something that we know. It's something that we desire, and it's something that we can relate to. Now, some say that Solomon maybe didn't write the Song of Songs, but his name is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 1. So we can kind of gather that it, it could have been Solomon, might have been someone that he knew or someone that he oversaw being the king. And we know from Scripture that Solomon was a very wise man. He was one of the most wisest of men to ever walk the face of the earth. However, I'm not so sure how wise Solomon might have been. I mean, after all, when you add up all the wives that he had, 700 or something, and then, and then he had hundreds of concubines, so about oh, a thousand relationships that he had with women, uh, that means that Solomon had hundreds and hundreds of mother-in-laws. Can you imagine that? I love my mother-in-laws. I'm just saying that. But... When we look at it, maybe Solomon wasn't that wise of a man. But out of all of those wives and all of those concubines, we see in this book that there is only one, only one woman that God has chosen to be Solomon's spouse. Out of all of the wives that Solomon had, there is only one that has a song written about her that has been placed in Scripture. I'm sure he had more, but... This one specifically is placed in God's word. And in chapter eight, we read how Solomon had land being the king. And when he wanted to relax, he would go out and he would wander that land. You know, it was to get away for a little while. It was for him to kind of chill out a little bit. And while he was out in the fields, he comes across a young lady who had experienced a life of struggle. She was a peasant. See, her brothers were in charge and and they made her do much of the work outside in the hot sun. And so because of that, her skin got tan. Now, many of you may wonder, what's so wrong with that? I mean, after all, in today's world, we desire to have our skin tan because we think it makes us look more attractive. But back then, it was the opposite. It was desired to have a bride that was pale or very white Well, the young lady and Solomon, they they happened to come across each other's paths and they begin to meet up and throughout the days they hang out. And during that time frame, they fall in love. Then they begin to talk to each other as lovers do, you know, romantic, passionate, that type of talk. But as we continue to read on, we see that this young lady really doesn't know who this man really is. She asks him where he's from, and she tries to pry to figure out who this lover of hers is. 
And he hides his identity from her. But finally, as time progresses, he has found himself so much in love with this young lady that he proposes to her, asks her to be his wife, and she says yes. But then Solomon informs her that he works elsewhere and that he has to go back. He has to tend to his duties. And, but while he's away, the woman can prepare for the marriage. And he tells her, I'll come back for you. But while Solomon is gone, the woman begins to have horrible dreams. All of these nightmares, then, we, we see have kind of the same theme. And that's that she loses this man, that she there's the love of her life. And, and when she finds him, she can't hold on to him. So we have to ask ourselves, why is she having these dreams? And the answer to this is because she's worried that her fiancé will never return to her as he said he would. In today's world, this could be like dating someone and they're not returning your phone calls or your text. She's worrying that her love has, I think it's, if I misuse this term, I apologize, ghosted her. And her heart begins to break. Her faith in the one that she loved was, at one point, is now being questioned in her own mind. Have you ever wondered if God remembered you? Maybe you felt like he was nowhere to be found when your heart was aching for him. You felt like you'd been deserted. But then one day, a huge parade of royal officials shows up while she's working in the fields and she finds out that it's King Solomon coming. And when he gets there and she sees, she realizes that her husband-to-be is the king. Then they go back to Solomon's place. They host a reception. It's big. It's fancy. It's a fairy tale wedding reception. The music is great. The food's there. It's there on time. The lights are wonderful. Everything is perfect except, except all of the other wives of Solomon's are there in attendance as well. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when my wife and I are walking through the stores or something or out on a date night, I think it's kind of awkward when I pass by one of my ex-girlfriends, even in the aisles of the store. So you can imagine how awkward this kind of is. But then things kind of calm down and, and she recalls how her king, as she processes everything, her, her husband is now, he's the king and he already has all of these wives. And, and in today's culture, we would refer to Solomon as being a player. And at this point, it's too late. She's already committed to him. It's her husband, and he's the king. Can you picture the toll that it takes on this young woman's mind? She had to ask herself, did I rush into this? And how many people in today's world rush into the relationship of marriage without consulting God first? Growing up, my grandma was a, a Billy Graham fan, and I would listen with her to his sermons and stuff on the radio. And he has a joke about a middle-aged woman who desperately wants to get married and start a family. She feels like her time is running out. And the woman gets so desperate, she goes to a psychic, all right? And, and when she gets to the psychic, he says that she will be proposed to three different times by three different men in that year. And the woman responds, no, I won't, because I'm going to accept the first one. For the single young members of this congregation, I can't express to you how important it is to pray for your future spouse. To pray that God prepares their heart and yours as well so that 
when he brings you two together, you can experience the wonderful blessing that marriage and love was created by God to be. In Song of Songs, we see this young bride becoming paranoid, right? And many of us here today have done this. She begins to, in her mind, compare herself, herself to the other wives. Just like we might compare ourselves to our husband's previous girlfriends or our wives' previous boyfriends. She then goes into self-defense because she feels like she's being judged by all of these other wives. All of them, the beautiful white skin, but here she is, dark, tan, peasant. So she explains to them how she had to work in the fields while growing up because her brothers were jerks. This isn't her fault. She's comparing herself to all of these wives. And one of the hardest struggles for couples to overcome in this day and age is when the man or the woman has had a serious relationship before they met who they got married to. Maybe the man has slept with another woman before the two met. Maybe the woman slept with other men. But as they come together in physical intimacy, they begin to worry. They begin to compare themselves to those who their spouses had been with in the past. Physical intimacy is not a sin. The Bible tells us in this book right here. But the Bible also tells us that immorality, meaning sex being used outside of what God created it to be, is a sin. The church has ignored this topic for many years because it's uncomfortable for us to discuss, right? I mean, instead of not discussing it or, or preaching it as something that we shouldn't partake in, we should teach our youth when they're at the proper age and time in their life about its actual meaning and purpose that God intended it for. You see, the waiting until you're married isn't a command that, that serves no purpose. It protects us. It protects our bodies. It protects our health. You can look at all the sexually transmitted diseases that are in the world today. It protects our mind and it saves us from that dangerous game of jealousy and comparison that can, we can find ourselves in in the middle of our marriage as it did here just for this young lady and for King Solomon. She wonders if Solomon loves her as much as he loves his other wives. She begins to recall earlier days of the relationship and she asks Solomon if they can leave their current place of residency and go back to where they met and reclaim a simpler time. You see, this woman believed that she was of very little significance. Comparing herself to the other wives, she compares herself to a lily as if it's a bad thing and Solomon stops her and says, yes, you are a lily, but a lily among the thorns. So what does this all have to do with God? When Solomon told her this, it brought relief to her heart so much that she sings a song and, and because she's so relieved and so in love. And we often say today that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. We can go to church on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights. We can read our Bibles. We can sing the songs. We can love our neighbors as, as ourselves. But if we do not have that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we have missed what being a Christian is all about. It's about being in love with God. And once again, right here in the middle of God's word, we find this love story saying that you are God's and he is yours. 
The NIV Bible states in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 16, My beloved is mine and I am his. We can experience the same thing with God. Our beloved God is ours and we are his. Throughout Scripture, God is the husband. Israel is his wife. And in the New Testament, Christ is the groom or the husband. And the church is his wife or bride. And I want us to recall to the book of Hosea. When God commanded Hosea to go and marry a, we'll call her a wild woman, who was a, probably a prostitute, and her name's Gomer. He then did so, and, and they had children, but Gomer was unfaithful. She had a child that belonged to another man. She then left Hosea to go back to the streets. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as a husband, I'm pretty sure that'd be hard to overlook. But then God tells Hosea to go find Gomer, the woman who hated her own children and was unfaithful to Hosea, and bring her back home and love her. Because this is how God loved Israel, and this is how God feels about you. His love for you is not determined by circumstances. The Bible is a love story. And the Song of Songs paints that picture of how God loves us in a way so that his people could understand back then and how we can understand to this day. And just as Solomon saw past the darkened skin of the young lady in the fields with nothing but bursting love for her, so is how God looks past our flaws. We can lie to ourselves that we're not worthy. That we have committed sins that are unforgivable. But when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is no such thing. We compare our lives with fellow Christians. Have you ever done that? We compare our sins to other people's sins. We compare our faith and how strong it is to other Christians that we attend church with and their faith. Just as a young bride compared herself to the other brides of Solomon. But Solomon saw past all of that. And he loved her. You see, Satan wants us to compare ourselves to others so that we can then look down upon ourselves and the relationship that we have with him through Jesus Christ. But even though we don't see it, God does. You are a lily among the thistles. And that, that is why God has placed the song of songs within his word so that we can understand the passion and the unconditional love that he has for us and that he desires for us to have for him. Let us pray. Father, at times in our lives, we doubt who we are. We feel unworthy to come to you in prayer and we're ashamed by what we have done in our lives. We turn to addictions and other things to escape that guilt and, and we misuse one of your greatest gifts that you have given to us and that is physical intimacy. We practice it outside of marriage. We then ignore it and deem that you have called the clean unclean. Help us return to you and commit ourselves as a whole to your purpose. We ask you to bless the marriages within this congregation and in your kingdom. Be with those who are single as well and those who are young, but desiring to be loved and show their love to someone. Help guide them to those that you are preparing for them to spend their life with. 
so that they may enjoy this gift of love that you provided for us. We thank you for loving us and looking past our flaws. Help us grow in our love for you with a burning passion that never dies. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen.